Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson pledges that every effort will be made to rescue as many British nationals and Afghan allies as possible after the withdrawal date on the 31st, which, if Nazarin Zaghari Ratcliffe's case in Iran is anything to go by, would involve him personally intervening to get each of their prison sentences extended. The new leader of the Trade Union Unite, Sharon Graham, pledges to put members ahead of party politics. This follows a general national trend of left-wing voters putting anyone else above the Labour Party. Studies show the Delta variant of coronavirus doubles the risk of hospitalisation and immunity may be waning in the double-jabbed. In unrelated news, students returning to school this week have been taking part in their first catch-up lesson. A-level biology, and a practical study on how quickly airborne diseases can spread among a captive population. And finally, OnlyFans performs a U-turn on its decision to ban adult content on its platform, after a backlash that saw content creators seeing their own arses for once. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News, the show that seems to trigger enormous global events with wide-ranging geopolitical consequences through the simple action of taking a mid-season break. Personally, I look forward to the next one in a month's time, when presumably the Queen will pull off her rubber mask to reveal she was Princess Diana all along, China will declare open war on Taiwan, and the moon will fall into the sea. Look, our affairs can only be so current, alright? Sometimes I just need a fucking nap! We start today, obviously, with the harrowing scenes that have been unfolding across Afghanistan over the last fortnight. The planned withdrawal of all US troops and support staff has allowed the Taliban to sweep back into power at a much more rapid pace than Western intelligence suggested was possible. That's led to a frantic evacuation effort at Kabul airport and Thursday's Islamic State bomb attack on the crowd that killed up to 170 people. Our undercover correspondent Danny Sutcliffe has been bravely facing the very worst this crisis has to offer and has been stationed in Kabul for the last two weeks. Danny, as this crisis deepens and the desperate attempts to evacuate as many people as possible are now taking place under the active threat of attack, how are things feeling over there? Hello Sam. That's right, I'm here in Kabul and I'd just like to say, where's me fucking Pulitzer? All I've heard for the last week is Clarissa Ward this, Clarissa Ward that. Well, where is she now, eh? I'll tell you where. Gone. Ooh, she's such a brave journalist interviewing the Taliban, even though she's a woman. Please. I'm still here, and as an airy misogynist with an opium problem, I think we can all agree who's taking the real risk. Danny, I'm not sure your petty professional rivalry is the real human interest story here. Isn't it, though? I've been keeping up with the international news, and I thought framing this crisis in terms of Western victimhood was the whole point. 
What do you mean by that? Really? This weakens the US and the West on the world stage. This emboldens Russia and China's foreign policy plans for the Middle East. Biden's chaotic withdrawal shows the weakness of the UK-US relationship. Me, me, fucking me. Yeah, alright, fair enough. Let's refocus instead on what the events of the last fortnight actually mean for the people of Afghanistan, then. It means what the failure of Western imperialism always means, Sam. A former client state in complete turmoil, with violent authoritarians rushing to fill the vacuum of power. The US and its allies have waged a 20-year war and have successfully replaced the Taliban with... I'd ask for a drumroll, but pop music's banned now. The Taliban. It's a win for everyone. If by everyone, you mean Islamic State and the American defence contractors who have turned massive profits. Oh, and the Taliban. But that kind of goes without saying. You're being surprisingly self-righteous and coherent today, Danny. Can't stress enough the purity of the opium over here, mate. It really does help me to focus. Yep, that sounds about right. Let's talk about the so-called gains of this decades-long conflict, then. That's a phrase that keeps being repeated by our leaders. Is there a feeling on the ground that those have really been squandered? Oh, no. Not at all, pal. There are loads of gains here on the ground. The Taliban have gained guns, gear, helicopters, vehicles, state-of-the-art military tech and stronger allies in China. Islamic State have gained the ability to once again mount terrorist attacks in the heart of Afghanistan. And the women and girls here have had years to really start to appreciate the rights and newfound freedoms that are about to be ripped away from them. <sighs> Look, I hate to go back to the Western perspective again, but from where we stand, are any of those pluses? <laughs> no, Sam, not at all. But isn't there an argument to be made here that nations like Afghanistan have a right to self-determination? that the West's attempts to impose its will on other nations amounts to little more than modern colonialism. Ah, yes, the victory crow of the sanctimonious modern lefty. Imperialism has failed, and the return of a fascist theocracy is the true liberation of Afghanistan. I'm not sure how many urban liberal Afghans feel like the Taliban sweeping through the streets is the greatest expression of their right to self-determination, Sam. I'd love to ask some women how empowered they feel right now, but I can't find any because they're all cowering indoors. I wouldn't call it a victory crow, Danny. I might be against Western imperialism, but funnily enough, I'm also not an enormous fan of regressive religious dictatorships. This is obviously a humanitarian disaster on every front, but in a way, it is proof that the West's long-term mission was ultimately a misguided one. Well, of course, you and Joe Biden would say that, Sam, because that's far easier to argue than admitting that the West has spent 20 years grotesquely mismanaging this entire conflict and has now botched this withdrawal in an equally incompetent way. Nation building in Afghanistan was always an impossible task and it wasn't really why we got involved in the first place. So it's fine that we basically said, fuck it, right at the end. Frame the whole war in those misleading terms and it suddenly becomes perfectly acceptable that we've now decided to simply abandon the whole endeavour and throw millions of people to the fucking wolves. Well then, what's the alternative exactly? Break the Doha Agreement signed by the Trump administration with the Taliban and risk further endangering American troops? Or a permanent military presence in Afghanistan? Well, for one, Sam, the Taliban themselves have stuck to the Doha Agreement about as firmly as Liam from Love Island sticks to a relationship. 
Sorry, Millie, but as soon as you turn your back, he's going to be aggressively reclaiming territory from other women. And for two, I'm going to say this for about the millionth time this week, I'm not arguing that the withdrawal shouldn't have happened. But that doesn't mean it's been managed at all well or in a way that left the Afghan National Army capable of ever mounting a reasonable defence against the Taliban advance. It may well be the case that ultimately... Biden's done the only thing he reasonably could, but he's completely fucked up how he did it. But in a way, wasn't the die for this tragedy cast when Trump scaled back America's troop deployment in the first place and openly negotiated with the Taliban over the Afghan government and freed their leaders from prison? Look, mate, I think we've all gone off Trump a bit, me included. But at some point, you've got to take responsibility for being stupid enough to wear your nicest shoes as you stamp on a bag of flaming dog shit on your doorstep. And another thing... Oh, fuck. One sec, pal. Hang on. Danny, what's going on? Just bear with me, mate. I'm, I'm having a bit of trouble with the, uh, with, with the live feed. There we go. As I was saying... Here in Kabul, it's... Unbelievable. You're not in Afghanistan at all, are you? That is an outrageous slur, sir. How dare you? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. So where are you exactly, Danny? I'm in a travel lodge in Basingstoke. <laughs> So you've not actually got anything to offer about the experience of Afghans on the ground at all, then, have you? No. Anything you'd like to say to Clarissa Ward at this point? Sorry, Clarissa. This opium is pretty good, though. Yeah, well, I somehow suspect it's only going to get better in the next few years. Good point! Every cloud and all that. Ah, I'm Danny Sutcliffe, reporting for IC News. Now, we will return to Afghanistan later on in this episode with our highest-profile political interview yet. We'll be hearing from a man who understands crises in the Middle East better than anyone, and we promise you you'll really want to stick around for that one. But we turn now to issues at home here in Britain, and the growing calls from businesses for the government to take urgent action on the country's haulage problems. There have been some interesting proposals from the Home Office of late on how to tackle our national shortage of lorry drivers, and Tom King has been travelling the multiverse this week to investigate just how those proposals might play out. The chain. It's not just Fleetwood Mac. We all heard it. We were all promised Brexit would never break the chain. And here we are, a 100,000 HGV drivers short and with supermarkets warning that Britain could be facing shortages at Christmas. It's about now that they typically start stockpiling their festive wares. But Britain's roads are currently so deprived of lorries that if something doesn't change, we may all be looking forward to a meagre Christmas at the Cratchits. Pass me another slice of festive microwave lasagna, love. It tastes like sovereignty. Now, if you're of the leave persuasion, I can hear you shouting in my head already. And look, I admit, you have a point. Britain's driver shortage isn't exclusively a consequence of Brexit. The industry's ability to recruit new drivers has also been impacted by the pandemic. With training and licence renewals suspended under restrictions and less new blood than usual coming into the trade as a result. 
We've also been hemorrhaging drivers for some time now, many of whom have been objecting to poor pay and working conditions for years. But we are still missing tens of thousands of European drivers, many of whom have no desire to sit in a lorry park in Kent for days on end dealing with the new burdensome admin of Brexit. And that is very much a direct consequence of our choice to leave. So no, Brexit is not the sole cause of this crisis, but it's certainly a key contributor. So how about you put the keyboard down, toddle down the stairs, go into the cupboard under the sink and pop out your JML blue step. That's it, Barry Brexiter, fold it out, pop it upright on the kitchen floor. There, now you should just have enough clearance to get the fuck over yourself and finally start owning some of this completely fucking unnecessary mess. Make no mistake, a mess is what this is, and it's one that's been compounded by a government who have failed to plan for any of it. In perhaps one of the most tone-deaf responses they've issued yet, the Home Office this week said this in reply to businesses airing their mounted concerns. The British people repeatedly voted to end free movement and take back control of our immigration system, and employers should invest in our domestic workforce instead of relying on labour from abroad. (sighs) Now... There are many obvious holes in that fucking colander of a statement, not least of which is the simple fact that the government's own Covid restrictions have actively prevented employers investing in our domestic workforce. We only came out of lockdown a month or so ago and training 100,000 lorry drivers in that time is, to offer the biggest understatement of the century, a big ask. But the most galling hole of all is the old shtick about us repeatedly voting to end free movement. We voted leave or remain. That was literally it. Regardless of which one of those options you went for, it's not unreasonable to suggest that the logical assumption was that the people in charge would at least have enough competency to hammer out the details and that they'd be able to do it without costing us the tens of thousands of European HGV drivers we rely on and causing serious disruption to our national supply chain as a result. In fact, we didn't even have to assume it. We were told over and over that the deal was oven ready and the transition would be smooth and simple. Lots of us didn't believe that, of course, but as much as I'd love to jump on that fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square and scream, we fucking well told you so, through a megaphone, it wouldn't actually achieve much in fixing this clusterfuck. So what can be done? Well, the obvious and simplest solution, although it wouldn't be enough to plug the whole gap in the workforce is to relax the visa rules for HGV drivers. It wouldn't fix all the customs issues at the border, but it would potentially entice enough European drivers back to ease some of the strain. In pursuit of convincing us all that Brexit was a price worth paying, however, the government seemed pretty reluctant to do this, which is understandable. Admitting that the same cheap foreign labour you always claimed was undercutting your British workers is, in fact, actually an essential part of your entire system, would be pretty embarrassing for any Brexit-supporting politician. So the government are instead looking elsewhere to plug the gaps in our labour market, and the first place the Home Office has suggested is our prisons. 
Pilot schemes have been announced to train newly released prisoners as HGV drivers, and plans are in motion to expand the role of prison labour in our meat processing industries. That's another sector who have been hit hard by labour shortages. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against the idea of ex-prisoners being offered meaningful routes back into work at all. Any scheme that helps serving inmates get qualifications that allow them to lead reformed lives out of the system gets a thumbs up from me. But it's not yet clear just how these schemes will genuinely benefit anyone, other than a private sector profiteering from yet another source of cheap labour. There is a world of difference between prisoners doing community work that gives back to the society they've harmed and exploitation of them that only benefits private companies. Private companies that could instead be attracting new workers with, ooh, I don't know, better pay and conditions. Which one of the two options we're going to get remains to be seen, which is why I've come here to Earth Alpha Echo Indentured Servitude 11. Here, Preeti Patel has been given full autonomy to manage our prison workforce exactly as she sees fit, and she's handled the tricky ethical dilemma with her typical level of empathy. The prison population has been fully utilised to really reap the tangible benefits of Brexit. In our cities, convicts work in chain gangs to maintain salt farms harvesting the tears of liberal metropolitan elites and in sovereignty mines all over the country, like this one here in the Pennines, prisoners work 20-hour shifts, digging the meaningless hole ever deeper in search of something utterly intangible and ultimately worthless. Keep at it, you scum! We're not paying you to... Well, we're not paying you at all. But the British people repeatedly voted to end free movement, so this is what you fucking get! <sighs> inspiring, isn't it? And there's no chance of Christmas getting cancelled in a place like this. I can practically taste the goodwill to all men in the air. I'm Tom King, reporting for IC News. It's now time to return to the crisis in Afghanistan. I promised earlier on that we would be treating you to the highest profile interview this network has ever obtained, which is why it's slightly galling that I'm not the one conducting it. I was going to, but our centrist correspondent and enthusiastic new Labour superfan Joanne Gordon made such a pain in the arse of herself that I had no choice but to let her do it instead. So without further ado, we hand over now to Joanne. Thanks, Sam. Oh my god, I can't believe this is actually happening, but it is, and it's me, and I'm doing it, and I... Oh gosh, I can't breathe! Collect yourself, Gordon, I... Uh... <sighs> Calm seas, beige paint, skimmed milk. Calm seas, beige paint, skimmed milk. Okay. Okay, I think I've got it. Sorry, everyone, it's just... Well, as you all know, I'm a passionate centrist and... Ah, this is just such a big moment for me! Ladies and gentlemen, here today to talk to little old me and share his views about the crisis in Afghanistan, it's Tony fucking Blair! Yes, hello. Thank you for having me, Joanne. Oh, he said my name! He said my name! He said my fucking name! Yes, quite. It's always nice to meet a fan. Reminds me of 1997. 
Oh, and I am a fan. I really am. I love everything about you, from education, 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 to the Shore Start Centres, to peace in Northern Ireland. Yes, yes, to actually winning elections. Although... I don't like to mention it. Yes, of course, but also the National Minimum Wage, the Civil Partnership Act, and, uh, and... Uh, it's all right. You can say it. This is a safe space. To, um... Uh... The war in Iraq. Um... Sorry, did you have a question? Thank God I was holding my breath for so long that I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> yes, yes, of course I do. Um, I suppose the big question everyone wants to know is what you think of all this. Well, thank you for asking, Joanne. And you're right, of course. Everyone does want to know what Tony Blair thinks. And at all times, I wake up every morning and I think, who wants to hear from me today? And the answer is, of course, always everyone. And so I talk to anyone who will listen, because then... I can't hear. Well, you know, them. Them? Sorry, Mr Blair, I'm not quite sure what you're saying. Well, I mean the moaning corpse is stood behind you, of course. Oh, there's no one stood behind me, Mr Blair. Of course there is. They're always there. The man with the burned face, staring at me. The mother, cradling the broken body of a child. The teenage boy... Balancing on his hands, his lower body a bloody ruin, blown away by an artillery strike. They're always there. They follow me everywhere, moaning about WMDs. A million dead faces, always watching, judging, crying out in pain. They're in the bathroom mirror when I brush my teeth. For years now, they've watched, waited, calling me to them. What is happening? Did I mention I won three elections? get back to Afghanistan, Mr Blair. You've been quite vocal about the way in which President Biden has managed this withdrawal. You said it was in pursuit of an imbecilic slogan. Yes, of course. And I stand by that. Ending a forever war. It's a meaningless objective. The West needs to have the courage to stand behind its principles. Liberty, democracy, and engineering a case for an imperialistic war that claims a million lives on the back of false and manufactured evidence are all noble aims and we shouldn't shy away from having the courage to pursue them. Sorry, what was the last one? And the West, of course, should stand up against the spread of radical Islam, unless that radical Islam is funded and supported by Saudi Arabia. My institute can tell you all about it, provided you pay me several hundred thousand pounds to speak for them. I won three elections, don't you know? No, Ahmed, stop it. I'm not coming with you. I'm not walking into the fire. no one there. <laughs> you really think so? How peculiar. Maybe it's like my hands. I'm always convinced they're soaking wet, red with blood, and no matter how hard I scrub, I can never get them clean. But Cherry says they're fine. I suppose it's all a matter of perspective. Oh, look at that. The mother and child are on fire again, reaching for me with their burning hands. It's all right. I can keep talking. The pauses, you see. I pause like this. Keep my voice going, just to quieten the screams. We're nearly out of time, Mr Blair, but I suspect there's one question I have to ask you. Clearly, you believe we should have committed more long-term to the West strategic aims in Afghanistan. In that regard, I suppose the only thing to ask you is how you ever saw this conflict coming to an end. End? Nothing ends, child. 
They're just fire and blood and the gnashing of teeth and the clawing of desperate, grave-soiled hands. And beneath you, as time ticks away and your body withers, there's only the abyss widening a little every day with the terrible laughter from the depths of the pit rising even louder. It knows your days are numbered and one day it will claim you. It laughs because it knows. It knows your bed of mammon will ultimately provide you with nothing but kindling for the fires of eternal damnation. Right. Can I ask, how much am I getting paid for this, by the way? And can I have it in cash so I can wad it up and press it against my ears to muffle the screams? I'll, um, have to check with my producer on that one. That's all we have time for. Mr Blair, thank you very much. I'm Joanne Gordon and never meet your heroes, everyone. Reporting for IC News. Amid, did you know I won three elections? Oh, great. Now he's on fire, too. Who wants to hear from me next, then? You? Are you going to listen? It doesn't matter. I'm going to talk anyway. But you'll pay me, right? Of course you will. Right. Okay, that went, um, weird. But nevertheless, former Prime Minister Tony Blair's desperate attempts to avoid the agonies of the deepest bowels of hell bring us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back at 8am next Sunday... But first of all, with all the comfortable dependency of a consistent but ultimately unsatisfying lover, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Members of the Scottish Greens back a deal that will see their leaders serve in government for the first time. Their first challenge will be convincing the country that Scottish Greens aren't in fact just chips. Former cricketer Ian Botham is appointed as Britain's trade envoy to Australia. As a result, his nickname will be officially lengthened to Beefy That Undercuts British Farmers Botham. Two Conservative MPs write to Boris Johnson urging him to make the £20 universal credit top-up permanent, providing a punchline to the joke, how many Tory MPs out of 363 are capable of growing a conscience? And finally, Monty Python star John Cleese is to front a programme on Channel 4 exploring the perils of cancel culture. Presumably, because try as he might, he just can't get his own alimony payments cancelled. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of me van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs>